Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Kirk Church Podcast. I'm Aaron Elmore, lead pastor at Kirk of the Hills, located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is where you can hear messages from all our pastors and guest speakers. Make sure to subscribe and share with anyone who follows the Kirk. If you want to know more about us, visit us at thekirk.com, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram at the Kirk Church. Let's get started with today's episode. So one of the ways that we could capture the role of a counselor is to say that a counselor helps people get unstuck. When you go to see a counselor, which we often wait way too late, the problem has gotten way too uh, out of hands, but when we go to a counselor, we go because we recognize that we're stuck. There's some kind of dysfunctional pattern in our life, dysfunction in our relationships. It could be because of grief or anxiety or depression, some kind of pattern of behavior or addiction. We go to a counselor because we're stuck and we need somebody to help us get unstuck. So it's like the feeling that you have in wintertime. And uh, here we get snow, but what's worse is that we get ice. And you know, if you've gone out driving for whatever reason or something you just had to do, you go out driving when there's ice on the ground and you come to a red light and it's slightly uphill and you go to hit the gas and your tires start spinning, but you're not going anywhere. And so what's the natural instinct? You push the gas harder, which actually makes it worse. And sometimes rather than going forward, you actually end up sliding backward. How many of you have had this experience before? The truth is, this is how our lives can be at times. The terrain of our life can be like that hard, icy ground. And we feel like we're pushing the gas and the wheels are spinning, but we're not getting anywhere. In fact, we feel like we might even be going backwards. Or even in different seasons, maybe a different metaphor is when I was in high school, we used to go four-wheeling, right? You'd go off-road, and if it was muddy... And you got in a, in a situation where you'd get stuck in that sort of thick, squelchy mud. And you'd spin those tires, but you weren't making traction. And this morning, I want to talk about the role of a counselor that we have. An internal counselor. The very Holy Spirit of God is our counselor with us in every situation that we face. And the counselor is there to help us get unstuck. I also, as I mentioned this, want to tell you something else. By all means, we have been given God-given resources in counselors, in pastors, in paid mental health professionals. And I think we need to utilize those folks. It would be wise of us. That, that's not a competition between relying on the Holy Spirit, who is our counselor, who helps us get unstuck, and also having other people come alongside of us who help us get unstuck. And I think sometimes we kind of get in a paradigm where we think that by picking one, we're not picking the other. No, we have both. And we need to avail ourselves of the resources that we have. And so as I talk about the Holy Spirit, our counselor this morning, by no means hear me saying that, look, you just need, you just need to get in touch with the spirit and then everything's going to be, everything's going to be fine. That's not what I'm telling you. I'm telling you That if you're not getting in touch with the Holy Spirit, you're missing out on a resource that every believer has. We have the counselor who will help us to get 
unstuck. So this morning we're picking back up where we left off last week. We were in John chapter 14. This week we're in John chapter 16. Both of those fall within what's called the upper room discourse. This is a set of teaching that Jesus shared with his disciples as they were uh, having the Passover meal. It was toward the end of uh, Jesus' life on this earth before he would die and be raised and ascended into heaven. He shared this block of a vision and of teaching with his disciples. And this, this text this week comes from the same one. And in fact, again here, starting in verse 7, we get this same word, advocate, from last week. It's the paraclete. I characterized last week uh, this role as a helper. This role is translated in various uh, uh, translations of the Bible as helper, as advocate, as teacher, or counselor. Because it's a very nuanced role. And so this week we're going to look at the Holy Spirit as counselor. Now, as they're in this upper room, Jesus is counseling the believers that, that they, their mission requires supernatural help. That they must have the power of the Holy Spirit inside them to take on this incredibly challenging and huge mission. It can only be accomplished with the help of God. And this morning, as we look at the role of the counselor, of course, it's different the way that the Holy Spirit is our counselor versus a guidance counselor, a professional counselor, a pastoral counselor. But I think there's overlap in the way that we understand the ministry of the Spirit as one who counsels, who comes alongside to help. So first we see that the counselor is a catalyst for conviction. A catalyst for conviction. The Holy Spirit brings conviction into our lives. And it's helpful to understand there are two different nuances to this word conviction here. Conviction can be in the sense of exposing sin. Right? You walk out from from a sermon or from reading your Bible and you feel convicted, meaning you realize there's something there that you are doing you shouldn't be doing. Or there's something that you should be doing that you're not doing. Exposes sin. Missing the mark. But the word conviction can also have a positive sense in that I have a, a growing conviction about some truth. Right? You see there? It's, it's both a negative thing, right? Convicted about sin, but also conviction to believe that which really is true. And the Spirit does both sides of these. Reveals to us what's not working and shows us what we should instead direct our attention toward what is working and have a growing positive conviction about that. So when I was in seminary... Um, I got four electives, only four out of the whole program. And I talked to pastors and I said, well, what would you take if you had a choice? And they said, the weakest area of my seminary education was counseling. And yet it's something that I do a ton in my role informally, but also somewhat formally in meeting with folks. And uh, so I said, okay, I took four classes in it. And one of the classes that I took uh, was sort of a relatively new counseling theory called brief counseling. The reason it's great for pastors is because it's short term. It's called brief because it's short-term counseling. In other words, if your problem, I can't help you in six sessions or, or less, it's too big for me, <laughs> right? And, and part of brief counseling uh, is that it's solution-focused. It doesn't really go all the way back into the past and figure it out. It's all about helping you clarify the problem and then asking two important questions. I know they're super profound. The first one is, what's working for you? Okay, do more of that. The second one is, what's not working for you? Okay, stop doing that. You got it? Right? That's brief counseling in a nutshell. You can do it on yourself. Unfortunately, we don't, which is why we end up needing to talk to counselors. And that's okay. That's not a bad thing. Sometimes we need people to ask us the questions we're not willing to ask ourselves or to push a little bit to get honesty in those things. As we look at the role of the Holy Spirit as counselor, we see both of those. We see the Holy Spirit revealing to us what's not working. 
Conviction about sin, the ways that we've missed the mark. But then we also see that the Spirit brings conviction about righteousness and judgment. But righteousness is not a bad thing. So how can you be convicted about righteousness? Well, the Spirit convicts us regarding a proper understanding of righteousness, that we would have a growing conviction that it is not our righteousness that saves us, but it is the righteousness of Christ. And so this word righteousness, actually here on paper, it sounds like a positive thing, but it's actually the term that's used here is negative. It's the kind of self-righteousness that the Pharisees and the religious leaders had. And it's the kind of self-righteousness that we often practice in our own lives. And so we need conviction that we're sinners, that we miss the mark, but we also need a conviction that our self-righteousness, that pushing the gas harder and spinning the tires more is not actually going to get us unstuck. We need the righteousness of God placed in our account and actively worked into us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit who helps us to actually become more like Jesus over time. Never perfectly in this life, but that we would be growing in righteousness. And finally, the conviction regarding judgment. A sense that there really is a judgment that is coming. We need an urgency an urgency to believe that we have sin, that the solution is not found in ourselves, it's found in Jesus Christ, and there needs to be an urgency to a decision to act on that, and so we need to have a conviction about judgment. And the Holy Spirit is the one that reveals to us this sense that one day we are going to stand before heaven, before the King of heaven, and there is a moment of accountability. Now the truth is, that can be a very scary thing, can't it? This idea that one day we're going to be judged, but it doesn't have to be. See, that's the beautiful picture that scripture tells us is that this coming judgment doesn't have to take us by surprise. We know it's coming. We have a conviction that it will come. And we also have the knowledge of what is going to happen at that judgment and what standard we will be placed under at that judgment. You know, going to court can be a kind of a scary thing if you've never been there before. I had a friend recently, I've been, but only to serve on a jury, uh, thank the Lord. But, you know, going to court, you don't, you don't know it's an intimidating environment. I had a buddy recently who was telling a story, it ended up being kind of funny after the fact. Uh, but in the moment, was telling about going to court uh, as a witness, by the way, not a defendant. <laughs> and how intimidating it was just to be subpoenaed and have to go to court. And sit there and not know what was expected or what was going to happen. And, and it's, it's true for our lives as well. If we, if we have this looming judgment, if we have this sense that at the end of my life I'm going to be held accountable, that can be a very scary thing if we don't know what to expect. And we don't know what the judge will ask of us. And we don't know how to behave. We don't know what will happen. And Scripture tells us that the righteousness of Jesus, because of that, when we stand before the King of Heaven, we stand not based on our own merits, but based on the merits of Jesus. And that Jesus says, this one is with me, and that's enough. That's enough. We get stuck sometimes because we don't believe that truth. We keep trying to, to get ourselves unstuck in life. And the solution, the conviction about righteousness, is not that we can save ourselves by our own righteousness, but that the righteousness of Jesus is placed in our account and is made alive in us. And this conviction both draws us to Jesus and helps us ongoingly become more like him. It's a conviction that brings us into a place of faith, but it also is the daily life of a believer. 
If we're going to continue to miss the mark, we're going to continue to miss things. And we need that conviction. We need a conviction that leads us to repentance and leads us to change daily so that we can turn away and turn back to Jesus. But, you know, there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. You've probably heard this teased out many times, but it's an important distinction. Because I think we continue to feel condemnation when condemnation is not what we should be feeling, it's conviction. So conviction says, you are wrong. You are off. You have missed the, the mark. But there's hope for change. There's power for change. You can become a different person who doesn't keep making those same mistakes. There's power. There's hope. Condemnation says you're a bad per- you're, you, you made a mistake and you're a bad person. And because of that, you're just going to continue to do bad things. And you know what? While you're at it, you're probably never going to change because you've been dealing with a lot in your life. So you might as well just go ahead and keep on sinning because you thinking that you can change is not going to work. You need to make restitution for this. You need to figure this out. You see, condemnation causes us to turn in ourselves. It causes us to turn away from God, to turn away from Christian community. And that is, that is not from God. That voice is not from God. You know where that voice of condemnation comes from? It comes from your own sinful nature. And it comes from, yes, the devil himself. The devil's real, y'all. I don't know if y'all believe in the devil. It doesn't matter whether you believe him or not. The devil is real. And the devil is our accuser. And the devil's job is to make you feel beat up and crushed and that there is no hope and to turn you away from grace and to say, you know what? You'll never get this figured out. You're just a failure. You're just going to keep making the same. You can't teach an old dog new tricks, right? That's the voice of the devil. You got a nuance between condemnation and conviction. The voice of Jesus, which comes to us through the Holy Spirit who brings conviction, says... You messed up. You know what? I loved you still. I love you. And you know what? I'm here. And I'm your counselor. And I'm your helper. And we're going to walk forward. And you are going to be transformed daily into the image of Jesus Christ. And you can't do it on your own strength, but I'm here and I'm going to help you. And it's possible. That's the voice of conviction. Sometimes I think we don't open our Bibles because we don't want that conviction. <laughs> Or we mistake condemnation and we feel like we get stuck in this pattern. No, we need conviction. Conviction is a good thing. Conviction is a gift of God. It comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit primarily brings that conviction as we are in the very Word of God. Right? We have that gift now. We have God's Word. And as we open the Word, the Spirit guides us into it and brings conviction. And that's a good thing. Now, at this point, Jesus has told his disciples that he's going away. He's sending his spirit. He's giving them a lifelong, seemingly impossible mission to testify to the world about this good news. He's told them they're going to face opposition and persecution and naysayers and skeptics. And their minds are buzzing with all kinds of questions, as they should be. How's this going to work? What do we do next? Who's in charge? Who's going to make decisions? How do we do this? And rather than offer them a step-by-step strategic plan or a giant 100,000-page manual, which still wouldn't cover all the different nuances of situations that we face in life. He says, I'm going to give you the gift, and the gift is the Holy Spirit, who's going to guide you into all truth and wisdom. You see, the counselor guides us into truth, guides us into conviction, what's not working, stop it, but also what is working. The Spirit guides us into the truth of God's Word. See, it's not just turning away, but it is turning toward the truth. 
And this promise here is overflowing with kindness and grace. Verse 12, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. (laughs) Isn't that such a grace-filled statement? I've got a lot more to say, but I just can't say it all right now. And you know what? I'm not going to. Instead, I'm going to give you the promise that the Holy Spirit, who's going to continue the ministry that I've shared with you, the Holy Spirit's going to continue to be that voice that I have been in your life, continually guidingly, guiding you and instructing you, lovingly correcting you at times. Peter, yes, all of them, yes. The Holy Spirit is going to come and continue that ministry. So I will be, I will be with you. I'll continue to be with you through the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to guide you into truth. I guide you towards what is best. And this word here, guide, it's kind of a unique word. The only other place it takes this exact form is in another book written by John in Revelation chapter 7, verse 17. It says, For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide. That's the same word guide that's used to the Holy Spirit here. In John, he will guide them towards springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The Holy Spirit is a gracious guide who will guide us toward living water, who will guide us into what is true and right, who will lovingly correct us and reveal to us ways that we have messed up and fallen short of God's glory. And again, primarily this Guidance comes for us through the very word of God. Now, what's great about having the Holy Spirit is that we will face situations in our lives that the Bible does not specifically talk about. You ever notice that? Right? Now, the Bible generally speaks to all of life, and it's everything that we need for salvation and for godliness. So don't, don't hear me wrong here. But what I'm saying is that there are specific nuances the that to life and decisions that we face and moral dilemmas that we face that the writers of the Bible could not have anticipated. They lived thousands of years ago. Any of you guys ever notice that, right? You're like, I wish there's, there's situations that you face. You're like, I wish we could just turn the page a thousand and one and there's the answer. We don't get that. But here's what we do get. We get the Holy Spirit who helps us to interpret, to, to understand God's will. And then in those unique situations that we face, guide us toward wisdom, toward truth, away from error, conviction, toward sin, and toward righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus. This is the work of the Spirit. At the end of this section, we see another beautiful picture of our triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit working together in unity of purpose. I mentioned that theme last week in our text, but we continue to see this overlap between the role and the work of Father, Son, and Spirit. It says, He, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, Jesus. The Spirit will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. And all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. We see this beautiful interplay between Father, Son, and Spirit because this statement about the relationship between Jesus and the Holy Spirit sounds strikingly familiar because Jesus was making those kinds of statements all the time about him and the Father, right? And he says, I only have what I receive from the Father, and then I take that and I pass that on to you. And Jesus says, the Spirit only gets what he gets from me. It comes from the Father through the Son and through the Holy Spirit. They're all working together. 
And so one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus. What did Jesus say? One of my roles is to glorify the Father. It's, it's, it's our all working together. So I have this crazy chart. The theology nerds will appreciate it. Some of you will just be like, I don't know, I don't get it. But, and then I'll have time to unpack it all. But it kind of defines the relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit. So we started the first week and we said, the Father is God and the Son is God and the Holy Spirit is God. We have a God who is three in one. Can I fully explain that mystery to you? No, I cannot. I'm sorry. It's just a mystery, but it's what God's word says, right? They're all three God. But yet we know the Father is not the Son. They're distinct from one another. We know the Son is not the Spirit. They're distinct from one another. Yet they're all working in harmony toward the same will and purpose. And I'm in the Father, like the Son said. And now he says the Spirit is in me and only passes on what, I, what, I have re, what he has received from me. So they're in one another. And then this outer shell the glory factor is what we kind of see here as we, as we head for home in this passage. He says the Holy Spirit's role is to glorify the Son. Just as the Son's role is to glorify the Father. They're mutually pointing us basically to themselves. God glorifies himself. That sounds kind of selfish, doesn't it? No, it's not. If what is actually best for human beings is that we would glorify God, if that's what we were created for, and that's when we're at our best is when we're bringing God glory, then absolutely God's most important thing is that we would come to glorify him. And that we as messed up, finite, limited, sinful human beings could ever bring glory to God is the beauty and power of grace. And so the Holy Spirit's role here we see is to bring conviction, right, about sin and to turn away, to prove to us the truth and to be convicted about the righteousness of Jesus, to prove to us that there is a coming judgment. And so there's an urgency to this. And finally, we see here the role of the Holy Spirit as counselor is to point us toward the glory of God in Christ Jesus. Because that's the solution. The solution to turning away from sin, these things that we think are valuable but but actually take away from us and rob us of true life, the solution to that is that we would exalt Jesus Christ and that he would be glorified and lifted up in our lives, that he would be at the center of all that we do. That's the solution, is to turn away from that and to live for the glory of God in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is doing that work in your life right now. If you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit is your counselor, helping you get unstuck. Turn away what's not working. And to not listen to the, to the condemnation of the devil and your own self and listen to all that critical stuff, but to say, turn away from that, there's something better. There's something better. And I'm going to help you walk toward that. And if you do that, you'll become the person that God created you to be. And no one's expecting you to do that on your own. You have the counselor, the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're stuck in your life right now and you realize, I'm not in Christ. I've never surrendered all of who I am to all of who he is. I've never placed my faith in Christ alone for my salvation. But I want that. I want this Holy Spirit. I want this counselor and this guide. Or maybe you've been walking with Jesus for many years, but you realize that you, you haven't been responding. You haven't been listening. Because you've got to listen to a counselor. They can tell you what to do, and they can guide you all day long. But you have a will, and you've got to listen. 
And we have to listen to the Holy Spirit because we can deny the Holy Spirit. We can reject the Holy Spirit. We can lie to the Holy Spirit. Or we can listen. Will we listen? If you're here today and you want that gift of the Holy Spirit through being in Jesus Christ, directly after our services, every week we have folks who want to pray for you. They would love to pray for healing in your life. They'd love to pray for you to get unstuck. They would love to pray for you to receive the gift of God's grace through Jesus Christ and to have the Holy Spirit come and live inside of you to help you to get unstuck. It comes through faith. It comes through believing and turning to Christ and saying, I'm tired of doing life on my own. For all of us, there's ways that we're stuck and we're pushing the gas and we're spinning our wheels. You want to get unstuck? Surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is our counselor will help us. And surround yourselves with other people who are doing the same thing, who are surrendering to the Holy Spirit and who want to come and who want to help you to get unstuck by the grace of God. This is the help we have in the Holy Spirit. What an amazing gift it is. Father, would you fill us today with your Holy Spirit? Father, would you give us the gift of your Holy Spirit? Father, we need help. Help us to have a conviction that we need help, that we're not okay, that we are sinners, and that trying to do life on our own by our own strength is not working for us. God, may we turn back to you. May we, may we give ourselves over fully to this beautiful counseling ministry of the Spirit who is at work in our lives. God, may it produce change. May it produce good fruit. God, ultimately, may it glorify you. Father, we thank you for this gift. May we have hearts to receive the gift. May we have eyes to see the gift. And may we utilize the gift that you have given to us. For your glory and our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.